Blog Talk Radio. We're going to begin with you, Vice President Biden, for this part. And look, the idea that uh, um, there's going to be this revolution, Americans aren't looking for revolution. Not looking for revolution. Revolution. I'm inclined to believe. Not looking for revolution. That many of our people are using this word revolution loosely. You know the worst thing about niggas? The worst thing about niggas? Niggas love to not know. When you study the historic nature of revolution. Es un símbolo para todos los pueblos oprimidos. Raya Girón es la primera derrota del imperialismo en América Latina, pero también es una de las primeras derrotas del imperialismo en escala mundial. Yes, the mirror's eye. Today what we're going to talk about is a revolutionary community. And what is a revolutionary and the concepts of a revolutionary. So please uh, enjoy the show. Kick back and let's get into this. This is the People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination. Our national chairman is Brother Yanga Nkrumah, National Director of Operations, Sister Seven Khadijah. I'm the National Chief of Staff, Brother War. And as always, we are honored with our Panel 48 panel, which is Brother Sight and Brother E. Now, guests, you can call in if you want to participate in the show by dialing 323-870-4191. And you press 1, the number 1, to get in the queue. And at the proper point, we'll buzz you in. Again, that phone number is 323 Seven zero four one nine one, and you will press one to jump into the show. Uh, be placed into the queue. All right. So going into this, in order to emphasize critical thinking, the basis of common language is essential, and this is how we always want to start our show. So the impact of the lesson can mentally touch and possibly even connect neural channels that have not had connections before. So in laying the foundation, Brother Psych is going to start us off with some keys of revolutionary. Go ahead, Brother Psych. All right. Peace and power, Brother Peace. Uh, 
you know, uh, the, the uh, introduction music started off with a lot of quotes from a lot of brothers, but one of the key ones that I like a lot is uh, the old uh, original chairman of the Chicago chapter, Fred Hampton. The brother said in, in, uh, in the quote that was in the intro, he said, next time you see me, I may be dead, I may be in jail, I may be anywhere, but you can best believe that the last words on my list would be, I am a revolutionary. And this is kind of the concept that we're going to talk about today. Whenever you say that I'm a community activist, a freedom fighter, a poor righteous teacher, an uplifter, humanitarian, or any word denoting any kind of attempt to bring about any kind of positive change in society, you are in fact saying what Brother Fred Hampton said. Now, some listening might say to themselves, well, I'm not a revolutionary because I don't want to overthrow the government. But see, that shows that we have a misunderstanding of what the word revolution means. We have a TV version of revolution. And many of us have never actually met a revolutionary. We have seen revolutionaries on TV. But see, once you see revolutionaries on TV, you end up having a Hollywood version of revolution instead of a reality version of revolution. And we need to move ourselves to a high level of consciousness to understand what revolution is. And the most basic definition, the word revolution means change. But we we will fall from basic. So we got to get a detailed about it. We literally means again or to bring back. Evolution means a process of change in a certain direction. Webster's second definition of the word evolution is a process of gradual and relatively peaceful social, political, and economic advance. That's evolution. So evolution basically implies the natural growth and unfoldment of all organisms. For this conversation, we're dealing specifically with the human community. When we inherit our community, our responsibility is to make the community greater than it was when we first received it. If we take our responsibility seriously, we will constantly make the community a more beautiful place for each succeeding generation. This is called evolution. This is the natural process. We learn to view the community as our universal mother. We learn our first lessons from her. We learn to fight there. We learn how to sex there, to mate there, to struggle there. We learn how to hustle there. We learn everything from the community, from our mother. Whatever lessons we leave the community, she then passes on to our children, our little brothers, our little sisters. If we leave positive lessons, then our people after us will grow and they will prosper. If we leave negative lessons, then our community will go into a decline. If you bleed her blocks, poison her bloodstream with drugs, saturate her with profound ignorance, and murder her children through gang terrorism, then she goes into a regressive state. And this state we call de-evolution or devolution. You can always tell what state a community is in by, its artistic, by the artistic expression of its people. When she is in a life state or an evolutionary state, the people will create art and music to celebrate life. When she is in a deaf state, the people will celebrate death in their cultural expression. They will praise drugs, murder, and materialism of a knowledge, people, and culture. Matter of fact, I want to quote, I want to quote Huey P. Newton, the, uh, the, uh, the first minister of defense for the Black Panther Party. He said, the system, in fact, destroys through neglect much more often than through the police revolver. The gun is only the coup de grace, the enforcer, to wipe out the conditions leading to the coup de grace. That was our goal. So I just described what revolution was. But now let's see what the revolutionary is, because the revolutionary is the individual that brings about revolution. Asada Shakur once said, the revolutionaries do not drop from the moon. We are created by our conditions, shaped by oppression. We are being manufactured by the droves in the ghetto streets. 
So this is the condition that creates the revolutionaries. Once the community has declined to such a horrible state, conscious individuals, and there are few, there are very, very few of them, but conscious individuals recognize the need for change. They say, hey, something's wrong. The community around me is dying. Not only am I suffering, but the people around me are suffering. They understand this, and they say, I need to create something to stop this de-evolution and restart evolution, which is revolution, re on top of evolution. The revolutionary begins to nurse the community back to health by doing the things that all productive people do, teaching the people, raising the children, rebuilding positive culture, training the youth in self-defense, feeding the people, and teaching them how to feed themselves, economics, basically. As you can see, the revolutionary's job is to build and create. But you got to understand some about dialectics because two opposing forces cannot occupy the same space at the same time. So once you attempt to create something new, that which already exists will resist your efforts. That thing could be a system or philosophy or just an outdated way of doing things. Once it resists, a struggle begins, and something must inevitably be destroyed. That's why Cormato Ray said once, he said, the major preoccupation of a revolutionary is building and creating. He said destruction is an inevitable consequence of the revolutionary's major preoccupation. A lot of people think that the revolutionary's major preoccupation is destroying something, but it's not. The major preoccupation of a revolutionary is to build and create, to uplift. But destruction, because of the science I just broke down on dialectics, is an inevitable consequence of the major preoccupation of the revolutionary. And so... Hugh P. Newton once taught, he taught that the job of the revolutionary is to raise the consciousness of the people. I remember he said one time in a quote, he said that your action could be the right thing to do. It may even be a, a, an extraordinary and a great statement of, of courage, but if it did not raise the consciousness of the people, then it's not revolutionary. He said, matter of fact, if it could be turned against the people and your, and your actions can be misinterpreted, then it could actually be reactionary. He said, I could not understand why people were blind to what I could see so clearly. Then I realized and came to an understanding that their consciousness had to be developed. Because of this, a revolutionary has to be a multi-talented person, a renaissance human, a person who has wide interests and is an expert in several areas. What, uh, 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 and, and what I'm going to get into, I'm not going to get into all of them, but it's 26 it's 26 and probably more than that, but it's 26 things that we have developed to say what a revolutionary is and what characteristics a revolutionary should have. But I'm only going to touch a few and let the brothers, Brother War and Brother E, kind of build on them and give us an idea of what they think. But, but number one, it says a revolutionary should understand that the people are more advanced socially than politically. Brother War, what is your take on that? Advanced socially and politically. Well, it says I would that say the thing about revolutionaries should understand that the people are more advanced socially than politically. I know, I know, I know. Go ahead. <laughs> Follow me. Huh? You go ahead. Jump he, in. He in said, first. "Take off." Oh, okay. So the, uh, the 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 Ice Cube song that you used to like to quote so much back in the day. Black folks will always sing the blues. Because they care more about hairstyles and tennis shoes. Yeah. That. <laughs> That's exactly what it is in my head. You too, indeed. True, indeed. Now, break break that down for the people listening, though. The people listening might not know what you're saying with that. 
but for the masses of the people, it's far more of a concern that we look good, which has an element, which has a root in our Africanness. But for more, for us, it's more. Okay, put it like this: Obama dropped more than seventeen thousand bombs on brown countries in his last year in office. These are the same countries that Trump went and did that whole uh, uh, entry ban. Almost the exact same seven countries. Obama expanded the surveillance state so that the NSA and the CIA could actually spy on us even more. Obama actually did absolutely nothing to move black folk forward. Not even the general community, black, white, brown, or whatever, did nothing to move us forward and took just as much money from J.P. Morgan and all these other bankers and whatnot because he was in their pocket. But Obama could talk. Obama had a nice face. Obama had a rap. You know, he he, he was a, a, a political pimp. This dude would, would conversate. He wouldn't converse with you. He would conversate. He'd get on the microphone in front of the mass of the people to give a statement or to, to be at a pep rally or whatever it was, and he felt so good and so smooth and so fly, and that appealed to us socially. We like that. We like that. Even if someone holds up to us, his record on this and how he screwed us over this and, and all of that, still he gets a pass because of the way he talked, because of the way he moved, because he, what did he smoke, Newports or, or something and, and played basketball and, you know, all of this. So he got a pass for that. His wife was all social and she looked out flying and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So he got a pass. Bill Clinton back in the day came up with uh, his administration was responsible for uh, uh, tripling the prison population came up with the three strikes and you're out, came up with the, um, the uh, uh, off of welfare. You get welfare for a certain amount of time. If you ain't improved your situation, you were powerful. He did all of this stuff and dogged us and messed us up. But this dude played the saxophone on Arsenio Hall. So it was all good. So these social mm-hmm. social uh, 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 trappings, the, the, the what is it, show a monkey something shining, and we dance for them, you know. So uh, 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 we're so much more invested and so much more we've been reduced because we don't critically think, we react. And what is it that you can react to quickly and, and easily? It's the social aspect. So the, 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 the keeping up with the Joneses and having the best TV and the flyest tennis shoes and all of this type of stuff outweighs everything for us and the actual politics, which we don't even know what the word politics means um, or how, let alone how it works. Uh, uh, all of those things take a back seat because what's most important is love and hip hop. Those are the things mm-hmm. that, that 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 grab our attention and have us caught up. True, indeed. And what you just did is you just demonstrated number twelve because number twelve says should be able to explain the causes of particular actions, the reasons governments act the way they do, and nations continue to act in that way. So that's what you just did because the revolutionary must have that ability to explain and interpret political action to the people. But, yeah, true indeed. I can't, I can't go against that in no way, form, or fashion. I'm going to skip to number four. Number four says a revolutionary should understand that education alone won't free us. Only the application of what we learn, the circumstances we are faced with, will produce the lives we envision for ourselves. And I guess that jumps in your lap, Brother War. Well, I would say on that note that 
the deal is is especially dealing with this modern day times, people have for one take taken education for granted. Number two, if we're not students of history, then we don't recognize the patterns that should be in place so that education can can be used as a tool. And not only that, if you look at the fact that your education, for the most part, is taught to us by the same uh, authority that has us in a position of being uh, inferior, then how can you depend on education as being the tool to free you? The point is the access to the education coupled with knowledge and coupled with wisdom and vision to know where you want to go. So we have to come together in a sense in, in knowing what it is that we want to define as being free so that we can make revolutionary steps to free ourselves. And it's not just simply having education because there's plenty of, of cats out there with, with, with strong, powerful education, but they, again, allow themselves to be tools of the oppressor. So having an education but not having the mind to will empowerment for yourself because you don't have a self-identity doesn't mean anything. You know, so that's that's just more or less to me a, a, a walk-in dictionary when you talk about someone who just want to lean on the, the educational aspect. And then, you, obviously, at that point, you're trying to put yourself above others, and you're missing the point altogether. And I think that even goes back to one of the things uh, he was pointing out with dealing with the uh, the social aspect, because as victims, when we're caught up in our social aptitude and, and attitude for dealing with everything is a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're basically crying out in regards to our conditions as being victims. So the way part of how we self-medicate ourselves is through social interaction. And that social interaction grows into this monster that keeps us in that same cycle and that same loop of constantly not being involved in our own process of liberation which is why we don't know what it means to be politically astute or politically involved because to, to engage in politics from that standpoint, you have to understand governing. And if you understand governing, you have to understand self-governing. And since we evade self-governing, being domesticated, and relying upon, uh, I would say, inferior education, so to speak, or handicapped education, it causes us to stay in that, in that spin cycle of being, you know, domesticated in the spin cycle of being prey. True, true indeed, true indeed. That's peace. And I want to add to that to a, a little bit because – oh, go ahead. You, who is that, buddy? Yeah, you're the moderator. You don't get to add a whole lot. Um, <laughs> but read, 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 read the uh, point again for me so I can make sure it I got says, right. Number four, it says, a revolutionary should understand that education alone won't free us. Only the application of what we learn to circumstances we are faced with will produce the lies we envision for ourselves. Okay. So I heard that, that saying, I guess it's especially in the country, where black folks talk about somebody go off to college and come back stupid. The, the, the idea that because you have some, some words and facts and figures and can regurgitate that information back, is not intelligence, especially to us as as a people. And, you know, again, and I would say I hate to, to keep picking on him, but I really don't. Um, going back to Obama, Obama, college educated, 
Harvard, I think. Um, don't quote me on that, but some Ivy League school, big time, big money, um, had all his education. He was a constitutional attorney, which means he went through becoming an attorney and then went through some more attorney stuff to focus and specialize on, on the Constitution. So this wasn't no dummy. This was an intelligent dude. But having come up with someone like Reverend Wright, who's feeding certain information, and being in Chicago, know he was close to the nation, know he heard uh, 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 Farrakhan and, and everybody else talking about it. This dude had access and some level of understanding of the information that about us and our plight and our situation was being provided to him, but he took that information and used it only in a American way. You know, the 80s was, has been called the decade of the I, of the me, of the ego, because it's when the whole concept of, of, of getting mine, I got to get mine, you got to get your, that really became a mainstream idea. So he, he applied that concept like, like most, well, like all politicians do, and, 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 and ran with it in that particular direction. So just being aware of some information, there's some, what they say, some very intelligent junkies. Just because you have the information doesn't mean that you're applying it, and it doesn't mean that you're applying it in a way that's beneficial to that's beneficial to a revolutionary position. It just means that you have the information. You're a computer. You know that it takes a lot more to jump from being able to recite the ABCs to being able to write a book. Totally, I mean, a huge jump in between, and we get stuck in knowing the ABCs and think that's it. So now we have some information, we have some learnings, we have a piece of a receipt from college that they call a degree, and 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 we think we didn't did something. But that again, I guess, bleeds back to the social aspect because now I can say, oh, I have a degree, and that's very social. But so what? It's 17 million people applied for unemployment in the past three four weeks. So your degree don't really mean anything. Your information, your ability to apply information that you've learned to maintain and to survive and move beyond that is much more valuable. So a, a, a hillbilly hick with a fifth-grade education that can, can raise his own uh, a farm, his own, his own uh, chickens or cows, raise tomatoes and, and bell peppers and whatnot in the backyard is much more valuable living than somebody with a degree that knows that the, the atomic weight of helium. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> True indeed. And let me say this uh, for anybody listening, if you want the 26, because we're not going to go over all the 26, it'll take too much time. But if you want a list of the 26, contact Brother War, and he'll be able to get him, get him to you. I'm going go to I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on to number seven. I'm skipping them. Number seven says a revolutionary must understand and be able to explain that revolution is a process, not a conclusion. Anybody want to build on that? Yo, Wars, you remember? I, you remember. I'm going to take you on a little, little, little walk back in the day. You remember okay. how that was the theme for the longest when we were doing the classes mm-hmm. and whatnot, uh, 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 while cycles yeah. away, and we were in the headquarters, and that became a theme for damn near everything that we talked about in regards to the party. Right. Is there is a, it's a part the whole thing from the time you pick up a flyer to the time you walk into a class or a meeting or anything that we were doing until the time you uh, decided to part ways or whatever happened, 
and even beyond. It's a process. And it's that process that we have to focus on in the overall development like anything else. Growing a, a potato is a process. You have to plant it in the right way, in the right stuff. You know, you have to cover it with the right amount of dirt and water and put the, the right kind of a, a fertilizer on it. And da-da-da-da, it's all of these steps that have to be in place. So it absolutely, to me, at least back then, the process, the process is the most important thing because if you're not paying some attention to the process, then it's like if I give you direction to get to the grocery store and you start out and you start, you know, making all these turns and going to the red light and the stop sign and all of that, and you don't never end up at the store, why did I left out your starting point? I didn't say that you were starting from my house, not your house. So your process was completely skewed from step one. So everything else behind that just made you get more and more lost. It didn't get you any closer to your destination. It just got you further and further around the block, and you not realizing that you just kept following the directions. Hmm. Right. And I would I would go on to say hmm. using like examples, and I want to I want to actually list the example we had because uh, we actually made a a banner out of it at one time because we had one of one of our members who wasn't grasping the concept of what it was that we were teaching, which we were teaching the process. And so we put on, we, we, we actually put his words on a banner and it stated there is no room for growth here. And we got, we, we really tripped out off that. And that basically let us know that our people, that even our own membership wasn't grasping the mechanisms, wasn't grasping the concept that it's the, it's the process, it's the journey that you're taking that's going to lead you to that, to that next step. Instead, a lot of people are just trying to skip ahead and feeling like, okay, if my goal, like Buddy was using an example, is to get to the store, then between the moment I leave out my front door to the time I get to the store is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It's all about getting to that store. And so when we're so headstrong on, and we can just use the concept of, say, of being liberated as an example, when we're so headstrong on the end, then there's no way that you can digest the content of the book if you're going to skip all the way to the end and expect to actually understand how the end became the end. And so the journey itself is what defines and creates that end, and it also, going into reciprocity, is also what's going to add back to that future generation, which lays a foundation so others can build upon. So if there's no journey, if there's no process in place, and it's all about, a, and then you skip all of the letters of the alphabet and you go to Z, then how do you form your language? How do you form your language with just that? So the thing is, is, is we have to make sure that the people recognize, especially because we're talking about revolution, recognize the fact that it's the, it's the entirety, it's the entire scope, the entire concept from birth to death that <clears throat> defines you, everything that's in between. Because think about it from that standpoint. If we want to get into natural life, if, you, if it's all about the end, then you basically are living to look forward to your death. But your life itself, that, 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 that essence that's bringing you from one, one revolution to the next, has no meaning, has nothing that's going to be applied to the rest of the ecosystem. That doesn't make sense. So why is it that we get so caught up in wanting to skip the process, so caught up in wanting to just jump to the end of something. 
See, that shows a level of immaturity within us that we would do that to the point to where we're not taking heed to the fact that, that we ourselves must embrace the journey. We must embrace growth. We must embrace a process because process is growth. So if, you, if you're not having growth, then there is no end, but you are an end. <laughs> you basically become the stump or the end of growth. Going back to that balance. Mm. True indeed. Hey. Real quick, let me say I want to say two things real quick. Um, 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 first, there's some folks that, that want to get in, and I'm gonna just um, let them know that we want to go through the, the. I think we decided we wanted to go through the, the the points real quick, and then invite everybody in to have a, a dialogue. So just you know, sit tight, don't go away anything. We ain't you know ignoring you or nothing. We just want to get through this, and then we're gonna have you know a free for all and get down to it. But um, the other thing I want to say is, is a little short little story uh, that I heard uh, from this cat that I know, uh, Ace Boom Coon from back in the day, real tight brother, love his brother, broke my heart when he left me, would do anything for this cat. He was telling me about this story. This story, he had been sent down to the, uh, to the gulag, to the penitentiary for a minute. And while he was in there, there was some cat that came to him um, that was about six months away from, being, uh, from making parole, from, from getting out. And now this now my man had been in, been locked in for, for a few years. And this cat that came up to him had been in there for several number of years as well. My man was a teacher, natural-born teacher, so he was teaching the cats around and trying to help them grow and evolve and develop. And so this cat that was getting out uh, was aware of this, knew about this, saw some of it, backed up off of it, didn't want no parts of it really, until it got to his six months away from being uh, let out. And at this six-month point, he came up to my man and was like, um, asked him, you know, okay, give it to me. I want all the knowledge, all the information you got. Give me this stuff. I'm going to take it home. Hit me with it. I'm ready to be a revolutionary. My, you know, my man looked at him like, well, what are you talking about? And the dude was like, well, what, can, what book can I get? You know, give me the books, the, 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 the paperwork that I can use to get smart like you. And, and my man looked at him and, and, and shot back at him like, nothing. It ain't nothing that you can read. It ain't nothing that, that, that I can tell you. It ain't nothing that can get you, quote, unquote, as smart as me. And while at one point, you know, a person's ego may take that to this dude, it, it's tripping. He's trying to say he's just so smart you can't read no books to get on his level and all of that blah, blah, blah type stuff. But the reality of it is what he was saying is exactly what this point is saying, and that's that, that uh, uh, to get where this so-called revolutionary or somebody we perceive as being revolutionary or whatever, or to get to where anybody is, there is no quick fix. There is no jump. You can't read a book. You have to experience it. You have to live it because life is the teacher. You have to go through that process to get to where I am or he is or they are, no matter what the game. If it's the pimp game, if it's the dope game, whatever it is, you have to live that experience in order to get that, that understanding, that overstanding, and be in that position. So it's that process, that development, that that iron sharpening iron or steel sharpening steel uh, going through and honing those skills and those, those capabilities. So, yeah, I don't know if y'all recognize this story or not there. Like, well. Yeah, it, it, it made a lot of sense. <laughs> it made a lot of sense. It's all it's all the process. Without the process, there's no real conclusion. I, I feel that. Number 10, I'm going to skip to number 10 on y'all. And this, and this doesn't have to be broke down, I guess, because it's self-explanatory. But I think what we're looking for on this one is why. 
But number 10 says a revolutionary should possess at least one vocational skill. I was trying to tell my uh, children when they were coming up. Oh, mine is quick, so I'll give it right to you. Yeah, go ahead. Um, go ahead. I was trying to express to my, my kids when they were coming up, you know, have your passion, have your, your, your you know, your what you want to do, but always have a hustle in your back pocket. Have something, I think it was Frank, this dude we used to work with, talking about how being a technician, an electronics technician, was like his plan B or C, or real estate was his B or C. He had other stuff lined up in front of that. So if one fell out the way, he had another. He had another skill that he could apply in order to maintain and, and his, his buoyancy and his ability to provide for himself. That's it. Well, you okay, have some. Yeah, I'm kind of coming in the same um, same uh, spirit of what uh, Brother E is saying, and and to add to that, my my thought would be is that you by having a vocational skill or looking at things from that stand standpoint, going back into one of the things we teach as Panthers, we refer to things as having as a skill levels. We have skill levels within a Panther, and the idea behind the skill levels is that it allows you to be able to to cross-examine and, and cross-train and be able to jump into something else other than what you've always envisioned yourself as doing. And it also opens up the door for you to have room for growth into other areas of your life so that you can sharpen um, other perspectives of your life. And, and, and just like I said, fall back on, I look at it as basically just being multifaceted because once you multifaceted and you, rep- and you respect the um, the greatness in being multifaceted, then you never left in a position where you are true that you become so dependent upon the system or a system, should I say, but that you always got something that you can add and bring to the table to where you make the system dependent upon you. So what it does is it allows you to see your greatness and allows your potential and, and your kineticness to shine through, and nothing can stop you at that point. And that, to me, goes into the leadership skills that we, we, we project onto the people, especially within the People Black Panther Party. The whole point is, is that we recognize that all of our people should recognize their leadership abilities. And the leadership doesn't simply mean you telling someone else what to do. See, that's, that's the wrong concept, and a lot of people look at leadership as meaning just that. But what leader is is going into what we're talking about today with today's conversation and that's that revolutionary spirit and that common unity that's going to tie us to being able to control the aspects and dynamics of our future. That's it on that one. All right. And I, and I want to add this. I know Brother E said I don't get to add a lot, but I'm going to add this. <laughs> in ancient times, <laughs> in ancient times, whenever you went to get educated, that's what we got concepts like uh, carpentry, stonemasons, Earn workers, whenever you went to get educated, you became a part of these guys. You became a part of these groups, and, and, and they taught you this secret knowledge, but at the same time, they gave you a hustle. They gave you a trade. You know, if you went to the carpenters, you learned carpentry, but you learned knowledge, spiritual knowledge about reality that your trade was symbolic of. Same thing with masonry. You learned how to you learned how to build with stone, but you learned the spiritual knowledge that your trade was symbolic of because they wanted all their members to be empowered, to always, no matter where they was at on the earth, 
to be able to apply their trade to be able to create some kind of economic power for themselves, no matter where they was at. And one of the things I used to tell brothers when, we was in, when I was in prison, and I've never been bashful ashamed by saying I did time, was I used to tell them all that the state is offering trades. Get, to, get you a trade. Because I had a brother uh, 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 to tell my little story when I was young, when I was 16 years old. There was this brother named JB from my neighborhood. He came home from prison. Now JB did ten years, so that means JB was I was six when JB went to prison, and we had heard stories about JB. JB was OG, highly respected in the neighborhood. JB could have came home and taught us anything, and we would have went for it. Whatever JB had for us, we were willing to accept it because JB was a legend. And when JB came home, JB all JB had for us was how to do push-ups and how to drink a 40-ounce without creating bubbles in the bottle. That's all he had for us. But I used to tell yeah, that's all he had for us. And that's what he brought to us And, and when I was 16. And I used to tell the little brothers in prison, I used to tell them, I'm not going back to San Antonio. I'm not going back to Amarillo. I'm not going back to Austin. Y'all are. And y'all are the JBs of your neighborhood. But the difference is when you go back to the neighborhood, you need to be able to show them little brothers how to, how to plant watermelons. You need to be able to show them brothers how to build a house. You need to be able to show them brothers how to how to fix their mama's a, uh, uh, AC. You need to be able to show them brothers how to do that. And you can get that while you're here and take that back to the neighborhood. That's revolution. Revolution ain't always about marching with guns. Revolution is about building communities. And that's why I think it says that a revolutionary should have at least one vocational skill. That's why I believe it says that. All right, number 11. I'm going to skip to number 11. Uh, it says that a revolutionary should be... Well, I know I ain't skipping here. Don't be, don't be calling me out. <laughs> Number 11 says that a revolutionary should be drug-free, diet-conscious, and physically fit. Now, you know darn well I'm about to bring this one up. You know I like this one. A revolutionary should be drug-free, diet-conscious, and physically fit. Going to build on it. Why, you the martial law? You've been a martial artist for 40 years. <laughs> All right, but, uh, I'm, I'm going to approach it. Uh, I'm approaching from a different perspective, though, because to me this takes me back to being able to face who we are. Because the whole aspect of the drug really touches that. So if I'm not able to love what I am or know how to love myself, then I tend to seek avenues of escape. And intoxication is one of the widely known and used weapons in terms of this society to keep the masses asleep at the wheel. And as you, peer pressure lends itself to experimentation, you know, being being experimental. And we get that. But at what time do we recognize that we're under an experiment and we stop dealing with the the inflicted uh, destruction that we go into? So we have to recognize the patterns of suicidal tendencies keeping us locked outside of kinetic action. We either get on track or get better at hiding from ourselves. And I think that's the problem we deal with when it comes to, you know, the whole aspect of drugs because I think that creates the snowfall effect that destroys the consciousness and being physically fit. And so to me, the aspect with that is when a person is not in tune with their dynamics, not in tune with their vessel, not in tune with the, the, the nature in itself in recognizing the importance of their vessel, then to me, again, that goes right back to love. And since that goes right back to love, 
I'm not able to see myself and others. I'm not able to see what greatness other people have because I can't even recognize my own potential. So going into that martial arts aspect or martial sciences, I would, I would say, as it applies to, you have to be able to see your pattern of growth and your pattern of, of discipline and your pattern of warriorhood within all of nature and all of the universe. And by doing so, as you mimic the universal design, that gets into the aspects of being physically fit as well as recognizing the strength and the responsibility you have to keep your human vessel intact. So if we are, again, self-suicidal or inflict destruction because we're dysfunctional on ourselves because we don't love ourselves, then it'll cause us to get caught up in substance abuse. It'll cause us to not give a damn about a diet but just simply eat to to get stimulation. So a lot of people eat out of stimulation. A lot of people um, don't exercise out of not liking pain. And from that standpoint, if you don't like pain, then what, you, what you're basically telling yourself is you don't like struggle or you're not accepting struggle and you're not accepting doing anything that's, that, that, that's, that takes any real trial and tribulation. You want to, again, skip to the end like we talked about earlier. You're not, you're not dealing with the journey. You're not dealing with that hardship that fortifies you and makes you stronger. You just want to jump right to the end result. And the end result, which is why people get caught up in a whole concept of when they think about losing weight. They're not thinking about actually getting that body, obviously, causes one person to lose weight. They just want to simply lose the fat. You know, they want to just jump onto something, take, take uh, what, is, what do you call it when you when they suck the fat out of your out of your body? I, I forget what that that liposuction. Uh, liposuction. Um, so they they just they, they yeah they go straight into liposuction instead of actually exercising. <laughs> you know, and so a lot of people have that liposuction mentality where they just want to they just want to have the appearance of being and being well off, have the appearance of being astute, have the appearance of being good. That's that whole social thing that we talked about earlier. But we have to come up out of that and deal with the reality of what we are and what we're dealing with. In that reality, there is no there is no shortcut in the process. There is no shortcut. You have to have a proper diet from a mental, physical, and spiritual perspective, and that in itself will create those uh, those channels that I talked about at the very beginning, where the neural nets are connecting, so that you can have vision, which will bring a, bring about consistent revolutionary change. That's it on that. All right, that's that's good. Uh, brother, brother E, did you have anything to say on that, or can I move on? You can move on because y'all ain't finna dog me out. I, I, I'm in the worst. Uh, <laughs> after after three of us, you know, outside of uh, meat eating habits of some people, I'm 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 in the least uh, 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 positive position when it comes to those. Uh, admittedly, when it comes to those, out of three of us, I, I, I'm the, I'm not finna have y'all. Uh, I'm not finna put myself out there so y'all can beat me up later. We just just move along. <laughs> <laughs> Number fourteen says a revolutionary must master the science of storytelling. <laughs> yeah, I mean we 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 and, and I think this goes to our culture. I mean, this is how we've learned over the millennia. Is we don't do like white kids do in a classroom and sit and and suck up information that's just yelled at us or whatever, 
uh, what's his name, college. Uh, I remember him saying, you know, doing some some research for listening to music and all of those things, listening to a lot of speeches. Um, I remember him saying uh, in response to, to the Donahue of all people, um, he asked him, are you a, Donahue asked him, are you a, somebody who's serious? He didn't say it well, but I got his point. Are you someone who's serious about, a serious activist about your, your, your people's uh, plight? Or are you some kind of entertainer? Because you know how Kyle would get, you know, just yeah. saying what he said. Um, and Kyle responded, let him know, hey, look, uh, ours is a, a movement of information and inspiration because we're people of information and inspiration. Um, you know, one of the things I, I, I again, listening to, to music and coming up with things, there's a song called Africa's Inside Me. Uh, by uh, Arrested Development from an album called Zingo Amadouni from, from years ago. And I used to play that for, for my oldest baby girl because I realized in her development, when she was maybe three or four years old, that she was where with uh, my son, my oldest son, uh, uh, kicked some, some, just some information. He would suck it up, and we'd be going back and forth, you know, chopping it up on that. But for her, she was more receptive to music and the arts and, and those types of things, and so I would play that music to appeal to that aspect. And so appealing to that aspect, you know, some of the most respected uh, uh, rap artists have been magnificent storytellers, you know, from cats like Slick Rick. You know, these are cats, uh, uh, most deaf tells a good, uh, a very good story. So we, we are very much a people of the word and the spoken word and the the, the the energy and the vibrations that it, that it brings up. So to tell us a story, to relate an idea, a concept, even information to where someone is, is a magnificent ability and something to me that, yeah, if you can do that and transcend the, the, the time and space through, through these stories that you're able to tell, that is a magnificent quality. It's a basic quality that you that you know we exercised that a lot back when we were doing the classes, you know, uh, coming up with analogies and and telling uh, stories. You relate a lot of stories about your time in the pen, and that's something that the masses of our people cling to and can't get away from, even when we try. If we just throw out some numbers and some facts into that, it'll go away. But if you tell a story, and that it's a well-crafted story, and it's a story that touches people, that's a story that's going to stay with them, even if they don't realize that there are a number of of, of like Taoist philosophies and, and Buddhist uh, philosophies and ideas that I heard at one point and in my development. Matter of fact, I think I told Ward is that when I was uh, getting a particular somebody to look at the Medunatur by Raun Nefer Amen, um, I remember having looked at it and read some of it and thought to myself that there's some good stuff in this book. I'm not ready for it, but at that point in time, I wasn't ready for it and knew I wasn't ready for it, but the things that I read in there drew me back. And different, uh, the, when the teacher, when the student is ready, the, the teacher will appear. I didn't get it years, years before, but at some point, that's what that meant. And it, that happened because that story stayed with me and circulated over and over within my, my subconscious and making itself appear from time to time until it hit me in a particular way and taught itself to me. So being able to, 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 to navigate the, the, the catacombs of our people's minds at this state, at this juncture, is a huge ability to pass 
ideas from one another, from one generation to the next generation, even to bridge the gaps, the gaps between male and females in interpersonal relationships. That's mm-hmm. what I would say. True indeed. War, you got anything to add on to that? Yeah, I would basically say that the deal is 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 in regards to this storytelling, or I would just I would refer to it as being able to relay myself and others. The thing about it to me is the engagement. So we have to be able to connect with our people. We have to be able to be in a position to where if I'm going to pass on information, pass on knowledge, pass on my experience, pass on that foundation, pass the baton, I have to know how to make sure that others can see themselves in me and I can see myself in them. So the deal is it is showing a the overall connection between who I am, what I am, and the same thing applies to you and being able to win you over in recognizing the greatness in your own divinity by just being able to share a, a, a story or share a tale or, or, or share some kind of symbolism about my experiences. And, I, and, and the thing is, is to be able to bring that experience across by utilizing, you know, your terrain, your environment, everything within, within your site so that as you discuss this with the next person so that they can see themselves in those, those same shoes that, you, that you've already worn. And I think the whole point of that is that is if the people are able to identify with, the, with themselves in you when you're speaking, then they can internalize the process which is being provided to them to a point to where they don't have to actually go through the same it, it, same actual hard-learned lessons but be able to internalize the lessons that you went through and, and actually use that to their benefit and be able to take this a step further. This is how you get past the whole one-on-one phase because if we keep having to teach the same lesson to the same people over and over again and our population are, is not elevating or, or revolving to a point to where we're, we're, we're reaching beyond something that confounded us 10 years ago as a people, then that tells you something is wrong with that foundation. If the foundation keeps having to get rebuilt every single time with every single generation at the same capacity and the same level, then something is not being done right in regards to that storytelling. You're not reaching the people. You're not connecting. You're not engaging with them properly. So, I think that just says a lot about your what what your makeup is as a revolutionary. We have to engage in psychology. We have to learn what the mind mapping is and know how to apply this across the board with one another and each other. And so we have to be willing to always accept growth within our own pattern of, of accomplishments as we get older and as we work on being who we are so that we can bring that same relationship to the rest of the people. Mm, true indeed. And as a matter of fact, again, hitting on, on the culture, going back, 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 you know, we know the story of Jesus Christ and, you know, his mama and, and, and God had sex with her some kind of way and, and gave a baby and all of that. But, again, harping on the idea that we're a, a, a story, story, I don't know what to call a story heavy people. You know, the, 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 that story, having come out of Kemet and even beyond Egypt, Kemet, 
that story, that good story, has reached across so many, so many uh, 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 decades and centuries and, and eons, and across so many religious faiths and ideas. Because it wasn't, it's not a Christian idea. It's, it's uh, far transcendent of, of any particular religion. But that story has been so well told and and well kept throughout the ages and, and told by some very good storytellers that it still maintains, that it still has relevance, that it still speaks to something within people, uh, when you especially when you break it down and really get into what the story was, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and we'll take that and, you know, uh, uh, why, why, are the hieroglyphs? Why are the metanature? Why are those pictures on the on the insides of these walls and these buildings and these tombs and these monuments in, in in Egypt? Why are they not letters? Why did we not come up with letters to tell the story? Da 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 da. Because these pictures uh, are created speak so much more than words. You know that idea that axiom that a, pic, uh, a picture uh, tells a thousand words is worth a yeah. thousand words is because. Sure. These pictures speak to that subconscious, and, and and we can see it, and automatically you don't have to describe the kind of hat somebody had on. You don't have to describe the direction they were looking or the look on their face. You know automatically. And it's the same kind of idea. These stories create these the, 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 the images in, in our minds, and we hold on to that because it speaks to a very essential, uh, speaking of essential things, uh, speaks uh, to a very essential something deep within us. You know, we can, as soon as radio come on, if you hear uh, once upon a time not long ago when people wore pajamas and lived life slow, boom, anybody that's ever heard rap, especially from that era, automatically knows. And you automatically start getting this picture either of you when you were, you know, hearing that when you were young or what he's actually saying because the, the, the story that's there. Is, is projecting into that subconscious mind and reaches beyond all of the politics and all of the, the, the hoopla and all of the, the BS and speaks directly to our understanding. And I think that's why it's so important for revolutionaries to be able to tap into that cultural, that, that, that cultural essence that still, that still survives and speaks uh, within us and, and the things that we do and say. True indeed. And I want to add to that. I want to add to that too, because y'all both said something that sparked something in me. Uh, now I'm finna get Brother War said something. He, he said understanding how the brain works. So I think it's important to understand that we have a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere. And those stories talk to the right hemisphere and that, that picks up first. That's why we learned the ABCs as a song first. We learned A, B, C, D, you learned how to sing it. And then later the the left brain was added to it because then you learned the phonetics, you learned the logic behind it. And that's why the story is so important because you can teach the concept through the story and then you can break down the idea later with the logic, right brain and left brain activity. Brother E brought up uh, the the master teacher that most people in this world call Jesus, Yahshua ben Yosef. This dude taught completely through stories. The revolutionary master teacher taught through stories. And those stories, one time his disciples asked him, why do you teach them in parables? Because that parable is easy to remember. And then later, a true master teacher can come to you and say, "Do you remember the story about the turtle and the and uh, and the, uh, and the, the rabbit? Yeah. yeah, and the hare. This is what that meant. And then you can get the, the genuine idea from it. But 
I know that we got some uh, <clears throat> we got some callers. Wait, I'm going to get ready to turn wait, this over, but I, I got wait, some wait. points I want to make. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So I make okay. points. So, so, so you want to bring up? You want to uh, go and mention the whole uh, uh, whatever it was you said. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, uh, the subconscious and the programming. Um, yeah. The first seven years of a person's life. The reason you know a kid wants a bedtime story, and the reason that it's so important. I remember singing. Um, with that song, Bob Marley, uh, Three Little Birds Outside My Doorstep, Everything's Gonna Be All Right, Don't Worry. Singing that to her at bedtime and greeting her, the, uh, um, I forget, the, the alchemist. I used to read to her from the alchemist when she was, was little as a bedtime story because in the first seven years of, of their child's life, they're working from a, a, a theta uh, a, 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 a brainwave. The, the, the minds are operating off the subconscious, so they're learning everything, 95% of what they're going to have or operate off of, 95% of what they have later on in life comes from those first seven years. So being impactful and telling those stories during that time is extremely uh, effective and makes a huge impact on these children. Now, it, it, it goes on into, you can do it later on, but you said something that, that made me recall that real quick um, about that, that, that subconscious programming that these stories speak to, and it's just more evidence because, I mean, children and bedtime stories, you know, in your average white community anyway, I know in our community we don't really flow out like that. We, we, we have bedtime stories of, you know, niggas and bitches. But um, for everybody else, um, that, that subconscious programming that goes on during that time can be a very effective way, especially for somebody who knows how to tell a good story with a decent point to that story can be so very, very effective. My bad, bro. Go ahead. <laughs> no problem. Save. I think we need to let because you said earlier we had some callers that wanted that had something they needed to say. I think we need to let some of the callers come in, then I'll make some of the points later. But we need to let some of them uh, touch on some points before they forget the points that they might have wanted to get on to. Okay, okay. Um, so caller with the phone number ending in one three seven three, you are up. Go ahead. Greetings. This is uh, the national director. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Greetings. This is Seven, and I love the conversation. I think you brothers are really hitting on some things. Um, one thing I wanted to speak on was, I think it was uh, Chief Worth speaking about always having to start over, like we're not really achieving much on our learning curve, and I think that's correct. And it made me think about the, the boys in Washington debate that they always had, Um trade versus uh, education. And um, I just wanted to kind of know your input on trade versus education. Should we have slash should we now start to put all of our time and energy into trades and vocations, or is there still something that can be obtained through this education piece? Because there's something that is act, that's being missed by doing it the way that we've been doing it. And I think um, I'd like to hear your uh, aspects of it because there was a time where we were intentionally creating our communities. You know, we were going about things uh, in a progressive way, trying to find out what would be best for everyone. Now it feels very reactionary, you know, um, like we're trying to catch up, like we're not planning ahead, we're not doing anything progressively, we're still we're so reacting to everything. So I was wondering if you uh, had any uh, input on the uh, the boys in Washington debate and kind of like steps from here. 
how do we progress from here if we're being intentional about our future and our communities? Well, I want to add this to that. I want to respond to that just a little bit. Um, you know, we, we mess around. Sometimes we make a mistake of going either or. We go to one extreme or the other. And I remember years ago, this might have been 1994, 1995, when Brother Wall was telling me that either extreme is a, is a mistake. And my point is that Du Bois and Booker T. Washington was both right. They was right because you need builders in a, in a community and you also need intellectuals to build the intellectual mind of the people. So you need education and you need trades. You need both. And we need to understand mm-hmm. what education is. Education isn't necessarily instruction. And, and that's what we've been getting in this society. We've been getting instruction. We've been told what to do, how to do it, and boom, that's it. Answer these questions. And education, the word education comes from the Greek word educe, which literally means to bring forth. And Asian is the act of. So education is the act of bringing forth what is already within you. So a real education would teach us how to manifest our true selves. And so that, that, so I believe in education and vocation. A, a revolutionary, because a revolutionary has such a job to do, has to have both of them, has to have an education and a vocational skill because the, the revolutionary's job is to build the minds of the people and to build the actual physical communities that we live in. Warren, you might as well go ahead. Cause, yeah. Okay. All right. I'll jump, I'll jump in on that one. So, I mean, I, I really well, just want to echo to. the same thing. I'm just giving you a chance. Well, I'll I, I say a little piece. I, I'm going to echo the same thing Psyche is saying, and I, <laughs> I believe what has happened is, is we've been lost in the transition and, and thinking and, and, and bought into the fact that, it, that a vocation means that you're less, you have less altitude or less capable than someone that goes to college. So the whole college thing has taken precedence over a, a person's ability to have practicality in terms of de- devising and constructing their environment, so to speak. And by creating a specialized human being, and this is what I wanted us to recognize on that, by creating a specialized human being or a specialized society, it allows those that are in control the ability to not let the right hand know what the left hand is doing because we become so specialized, so compartmentalized, that that also reaches out in our mental, physical, and spiritual level. So we're boxed in. We box ourselves in. And when you box yourself in, it ain't no different than being than just being glor- a glorified, domesticated being because you have this specific purpose. And that purpose, if, if, you, don't, if you can't serve that one purpose, you want to jump off a roof. You know, and so we are not being a holistic being when we attack or chase anything from perspective of going from one extreme to the other. But recognize that nature in itself is an encompassment of everything. This is why within, within the Panther Party, we operate off a mechanism structure. We recognize that it takes all aspects, and that that's why we hit and, and talk about being cross-trained. This is what we get into when we talk about our skill levels of a Panther. And so the whole point is, is, is like Psych was saying, they both right. And, and not only are they both right, but we have to merge our concepts of, of thinking and our concept of, of growth into a position to where we're dealing with multifaceted things all in, in an encompasses that whole being. And we have to be holistic in terms of our approach to everything that we do. And I think that's where, that's where we, we, we fall off. 
is we allow mm-hmm. the Willie Lynch syndrome to jump in and be able to allow and be able to tell us that or dictate to us that one is better than the other or put one against the other and get the two competing with one another. And once you get the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere competing against itself, then what are you doing? You're introducing that whole concept of chaos that causes us to lose sight of the bigger picture, lose sight of being able to be in control of all our our faculties, being in control of the whole being, being able to move forward as a unified being, as a unified community or a common unity. So we lose sight right. of the essence of where we're going because we want to be one or the other instead of recognizing both. Right, right. I'm I think. Um, <laughs> can I ask? Can I add to that question? Yes. Yeah, please. Okay. Go ahead. So, so my question is, you know, especially during this this shelter in place time, we can see that. Uh, well, I'm going to say I believe that the African American community has shown the disadvantage that we have as far as being producers and and being creators. And we have really gotten ourselves in a position where we are constantly waiting for someone else to produce. You know, we're not producing enough. We're not farming. We don't have the skills. You know, Uh, we're essential because we're hourly, you know, where we have a function that serves their community, but we're not really serving our community. Like, so from here, and now that we can clearly see some of the um, disadvantages that we've allowed to occur, you know, what would you think is like the most important step from here moving forward? Is it education or, you know, educating our own children? Is it creating um, produce and and being able to feed ourselves and shelter ourselves? Is it getting trade so that we have more control over what is and is not occurring? Like what would you think is the most important where we could focus so that when this happens again, um, we'll be in a better position, um, not just waiting for the government to make a decision if we can go to the hourly job that we have. So I would say uh, out of all the things you listed, I would say yes. There's no, in my mind, there's no dichotomy. There's no distinction between farming and providing for ourselves and teaching the children. Um, Brother Sykehead touched on earlier in ancient times with the masons, you know, the carpenters and the the, the brick builders and and all of those things. They were learning how to shape this piece of wood. At the same time, they were learning a spiritual concept embedded within that because, and I'm glad she brought it up because, I, I, I've 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 been accused of being a nagger, so I'm gonna be a nagger tonight, psych. Um, and and <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about the the whole COVID thing because the sister brought it up, and most of us are at the house and can't go nowhere anyway because of the COVID thing. So I'm gonna talk about it. So <laughs> at this point in time, the biggest impediment, the biggest issue, at least on a broader, not necessarily the black community, but a broader level, you know, statewide, uh, regionally, your city, your neighborhood, all of that. The biggest thing that's working against us right now is the whole shelter in place, simply because, or social distancing, simply because being socially distant is antithetical. It's the opposite 
of who African people are. We are not Facebook folks. We ain't come up with Facebook. We ain't come up with the concept of talking to your loved ones through a post every 90 days or whatever. That's counterintuitive, counter to, to who we are. It's a, a, a counter-revolutionary act. So not being able to connect in, 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 in the ways that we connect is going to be extremely damaging for us, even those of us who are wanting to develop and build community systems. But every time a piece of technology is created, we add a layer between us and nature. And the further we get away from that, the further we get away from our Africanness, further away from real revolution we're able to get. The most revolutionary act someone could do is to teach a child how to plant a tomato, not only because it flies in the face of what the system has trained us and wants for us to do. People actually get arrested, have gotten arrested in Florida for having their own garden. People in India are fighting for the right to save seed, like seeds from your food from your, your vegetables and, and your fruit. Mm-hmm. People going to jail for uh, collecting rainwater. You know, it, they passed a law so that if you're protesting, uh, 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 and it came out of the, 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 the pipeline, uh, the Keystone Pipeline in particular, carrying uh, oil from Canada down to the Gulf Coast, all of these indigenous folks were out there just going just apeshit and refusing to, to, to go away peacefully but they actually have passed laws making it criminal act to protest uh, uh, infrastructure. So if someone's building a pipeline or a bridge or a road or anything they deem as critical or essential, you can be arrested, like for real, for real arrested, not some little pat on the you know the wrist, okay, you were protesting, we get it, go on. But now you've got a, at least a misdemeanor, maybe may a felony. But removing ourselves away from who it is we are is the greatest counter-revolutionary move. So the greatest revolutionary move is to move us closer to it. I've become a part of the prepper mindset. As I started that path in my journey, that part of my journey, I realized that African people are actually the original and best preppers that there are because prepping is about planting. Prepping is about storing and saving. Plant, uh, prepping is about getting back in touch with the very fundamentals of our existence. And that fundamental, those fundamentals of our existence are those, those African traits, the, the planting and the, 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 the teaching through the planting of spiritual concepts. So there's no, there's no separation between teaching the child to do this and providing for the for, for, for the family and providing for the community. It's all the same thing. There's nothing to say that we can't have half a day where we go in and we study facts and figures, numbers, and all of that sort of thing, and then put the other part of the day going out to the field and applying some of that that we've learned and getting back to the roots and putting our fingers in, in the earth. Arrested Development had a, had a song years ago talking about uh, children play with dirt because getting into uh, getting back to where we were is essential for our existence, you know, and, and, and not being able, not moving, not, not 
having our children involved in those things is Hello? I can hear. I'm here. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, buddy, well, I, think what I guess he, uh. Well, thank you very much for your time. You answered the question, and um, I got a lot out of it. Thank you. All right. We're going to go ahead and keep your mic hot as we move on. Um, but I believe what he was going to end, the note he was going to end on was, gonna, was basically being uh, suicidal and self-destructive. In, in our in our in our way, so um, we also got another caller that uh, come in. So Sister Seven, I want to go ahead and obviously keep your mic hot and uh, bring in this other caller and see what they got uh, what they want to add to this. Uh, ending in seven two six nine. Hello. Caller seven two six nine. Yes, we can hear you. Hi. Um. So. Boy, I wanted to touch on the first part of that, and then it started mixing up into the middle, and this has been a really good um, discussion going on here. Um, But, so, I just wanted to start from the beginning. Um, I believe the thought process that arose was, you know, that especially our black community um, really holds socialism versus politics. And I agree with that. And I think that, surprisingly, the two are both very closely aligned or agree with one another in similar ways. Um, Socialism, which I believe, you know, is the flattery of materialism, commercialism, so on and so forth. Um, However, the goal is much different. The goal of socialism is the admiration of people, which gains you absolutely nothing at all. And uh, they, um, you know, politics is no more than the flattery of the tongue. But the difference is is that it obtains power, which is what Obama obtained. Um, But this power uh, that was finally grasped by someone that looked like us, understood us, and experienced many of our struggles. Um, Many blame him for our current situation and would have liked him to have done more, uh, which I, you know, if I could respectfully um, disagree, um, I think that the powers that are there are only giving so much to one person that looks like us, speaks like us, and moves like us. But I can go back to that. During all of other revolutionary objectives, there was a process, and that was touched on, and I couldn't agree more with that. Um, And we are familiar with the one from Rosa Parks. So there's, of course, the action. The action that occurred on the bus, she's, you know, told to move, get up. There was a situation, there's, there's an action that took place and an expectation mm-hmm. on our part that we are, you know, somehow they are superior to us. But the corrective action, which was the process, was bigger than that of 
the action, and that was, mm-hmm. we will not move for you. We will sit here, and until you allow us to sit here, we will not ride on your buses. That was an action. And I think that that's what's right. been missing for us. <clears throat> so many times, that corrective action does not occur properly. And what I mean by properly is, of course, you know, black folks go out in the streets and protest and, you know, yell and scream. But it's not the right action, in my humble opinion, not that I know everything. Um, But I feel like, you know, we should be showing up at mayor's offices, and and you will not be voted back in if you don't do something about this. And we should be showing up at the House of Representatives. You need to impeach that judge that let off that police officer that let off that police officer from you know, killing that black man or that black child in the street. So I feel like our action has not met, um, our, our correction has not met the action at hand. And to the young lady point before me, we do have quite a bit of reactive actions on our part uh, that we react to so many things because we are unwilling to come to the table because of so much hurt and so much pain, not only that we know that they're not going to do anything about it, but the fact that we don't feel like we're going to get anywhere. And someone said earlier, we have either always done too much or we have not done enough. We are always to one extreme or the other. And for me, which I admire both men, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. But I felt like Martin Luther King did not do enough, and I felt like Malcolm X did too much. Because once you grasp the ear of the people, there's a lot to be done. And simply sitting at the table is not enough. Yes, sitting at the table is necessary, which has not been done in our day. Um, But we have not sat at the table here in our day But what happened to move those individuals to give us the right to sit on the bus was the boycott. It was the action. It was the suffering. So what do we have that allows others to suffer without putting our hands on them, without, you know, the violence that Malcolm X ensued sometimes? Um, What can we do that says... And, and, you know, I touched on it a bit. And, of course, you know, there's a bunch of people with a, a bunch of different ideas. But typically most people move about their money. And that's what moved, the, you know, the transportation wasn't moving. They weren't uh, receiving the funds out of the black community's pockets, and they moved. So my thought process is boycotting works. <laughs> that's what works. There are, we have mm-hmm. other means and finances in our pocket regularly that we can take from them and that we can use other places and that we choose not to ever use our expenses until we get this. And then we sit at the table and we lay out our expectations. These are our expectations. This is how we will be treated. And House of Representatives, if you do not do this, this, and this, according to the black vote, I mean, even CNN, MSNBC, admit to the black community's power. They say without the black vote, there will not be a 
whatever, you know, senators, um, presidents, so on and so forth. How is that that power not being maximized? How is that power not, uh, for me, you know, I'm looking to those individuals like yourself to say, these are our expectations. This is what you need to do. I was watching a CNN show probably about, I want to say like six months ago, and the uh, anchor on the show just said to the gentleman, uh, the black young man, uh, you know, what, what is it that you all want, Black Lives Matter? What, do you, what, what is it that you want to happen, to see happen? He had no response. That's a problem for me. I want you to hear a response. What is the expectation? And not generally speaking, what are the steps that you are expected to take to take care of our needs? And if you don't, there are consequences. That's all. Let, let me let me jump in on, on one part of that, and then and then uh, Psych and E, y'all all there, still there, right? Make sure we got got you back. Yeah, we're here. Yeah, we're okay. Here. Let me let me address let me address one thing, and then I and then I'm gonna turn it over. Um, what we have to recognize, and I say this on a lot of the shows, and to me this is key and essential, is that we have been weaponized against one another. That polarization, that polarization that you spoke about, the whole Malcolm and Martin, is used all across the board in all aspects of, of dealing with the masses of people. And that polarization is what causes people to not look at the whole unification. See, the, the effect of polarization is disunity. Because if I cause you to go to one extreme, look at things, look at things in terms of the extremes, then there is no common ground. You're going to go one way or the other way. We have a thing within the, within the Panther Party that we teach where we, we, we talk about and break down the concept between choice, option, and decision. And in doing so, we show people that most of the time we give up our choice, which is our free will, and we go with the options. That's when you find yourself in a position of saying, okay, well, I picked the lesser of two evils. That's because you have eliminated your power of choice, of being able to engage and actually make a self-determining position and a stance. So when you talk about the whole aspect of boycotting, what that was is us recognizing the power that we had and the power that the system, uh, basically that the system relied upon us as consumers, as, as part of, of the process in order for a, that engine to run. That's why I talked earlier about us having a mechanism system. So we recognize our mechanism. We recognize that every part of this, of this society is the codependent on another factor within that society. Knowing that, we were not polarized. We were not picking between either or or, but we recognized that it took something in the middle to hold both sides together, to hold both ends together. So we knew that where that polarization landed. So going into what we have to teach each other, to me, it would have to do with the fact that we have to recognize that we cannot allow society, we cannot allow our thinking process and our position upon anything to be polarized because that polarization is also what causes light skin to go against dark skin, man to go against woman, um, you know, education to go against 
uh, to go against logic, so on and so forth. We, you polarize and you put things at an extreme, it means one or the other. And that is not how life operates. It's not one or the other. It's a combination, an a, a entire ecosystem of everything working together. And that is the message and that is the, the mind state that we have to go back to, which is why we're talking about revolutionary community because we're talking about a common unity that must exist amongst us so that there is enough of us to create that, continually create that spark that you talked about with Rosa Parks, the spark that sets it off to where everybody can jump on board and maintain a forward direction, a forward movement, so that we can continue the momentum of progression. Now, mind you, again, dealing with the weaponization aspect, the whole point is to create that polarization, is to create that either this way or that way. So that subliminally is, uh, is targeting our, conscious, our subconscious mind. That way we don't recognize what's going on, and then we act out of our emotions. And then when we act out of our emotions, that means we look at protest as a means to an end and not a, a tool to basically gravitate the people together so that you can have them in presence to, to raise the level of consciousness and, and, and get the moving with some type of operation. So yeah. the whole can Black I, Lives Matter. Go ahead. Um, I couldn't Go agree ahead. with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. I agree that we should not polarize. I agree that even God admitted himself that there's nothing that these people cannot do if they are united. So I'm all for the Bernie Sanders of the people, and what I mean by that are those people that marched alongside Martin Luther King. If you're willing to put your life out there and yourself out there, you all, you know, great for me. So by all means, I completely agree that uh, we should not polarize in that sense and that there are people that would like to work alongside us in these um, times and these expectations. Um, so hopefully by me mentioning those two names, it only went to the comment that we've always only went to one side, way on the one side of not doing enough or way onto the other side of doing too much. So. Well, I, I would like to ask what, um, when you mentioned Malcolm, and you said that he did too much. What what exactly were you referring to as, well, as he I did too much? Well, I think that toward the end he began to change. But I think in the beginning he was very, you know, violent. He, you know. What did he do that um, was violent? He just, he just decided, like, I'm, like, we are, uh, Martin Luther King was, I don't know if you've read that book or not, but it talks about how Martin Luther King and Malcolm X were talking amongst one another. And they spoke of, you know, let's go to the table. Let's talk to them about their expecta- our expectations. Let's, you know, and he just was unwilling. At this point, he was just fed up. And he was just like, let's take it to the streets. I am tired. And so that's, you know, just, and that was what, a moment in time. So, what, what book was that? Um, in the Malcolm X book. You know, Which one? Just of his life, of his huh? life, just of, just generally of his life, his biography. Oh, okay. Because from my studies and my research from back in the day on forward, um, 
Malcolm and Martin met briefly once, two or three months. Right, they did. Malcolm, on several occasions, reached out to Coretta in order to try to develop a, a bridge between he and Dr. King. But Dr. King, because of his because of his political positioning, could mm-hmm. not meet with Malcolm because of the image that Malcolm had. Now, Malcolm never committed that. Prior to uh, post coming out of the penitentiary, he had a you know street life. We all have our baggage. Went to the street life. Of course. Went to penitentiary. Absolutely. Met the whole teachings of Elijah and all of that. Came out a totally different man. Never smoked. Never drank. Never fornicated outside of uh, of his marriage. They tried to get him to go in. The FBI has tapes that, that, that are on YouTube where they tried to entice him to get him to do some dirt, and he refused to do it. Um, but Malcolm never committed any act of violence. What Malcolm did uh, 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 say and, and advocate for was self-defense. Now, surely if someone broke into your home and, or even on the street and started swinging on you, you would fight back, I'm assuming. I would. I, and that's I all Malcolm said. Was I, we, yes, we, I agree with self-defense. But I think the we, point that's that was all that Malcolm said. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. But I, I just think that the point that, you know, that Malcolm was bringing up was the arm for arm. And do you not remember the conversation that they had about, you know, just going and speaking to them, to the to the leaders and just, you know, figuring out a plan? And, of course, shortly afterwards he was um, assassinated. Um, so I don't know that that was the best strategy at hand. That's not what I'm suggesting. Um, what I am trying to say is that, you know, going from one extreme to the other or not pinpointing how to move the needle, that was really my goal in saying what I said, how to move the needle in the sense of what needs to be tapped into. Is it boycotting in this instance? Is it going, you know, before the mayor, the House of Representatives? What is it in this instance that needs to be pinpointed to change the outcome? That was all I was trying to pinpoint. Right, and and I'm with you 100% finding that that balance. But what I'm trying to find is where the two were not balanced because what I was getting at um, is on one end, you know, Malcolm is saddled with this image of, uh, he's going to kill Whitey, which he never said, mm-hmm. never acted on, never, uh, never committed did. any act of violence. On the other end, Dr. King has this image of, of, of a dreamer, somebody who's asleep, I'm just peaceful, this and peaceful, that. But the reality of it is Dr. King applied for a concealed weapons permit in, I believe it was Alabama. Dr. King was surrounded by armed, armed bodyguards. So, and if you look at some of the things that Dr. King talked about, he talked about the empowerment of the black community, i.e. black power. Dr. King talked about, um, lamented over having, um, how did he put it, having urged and moved his people to um, uh, 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 jump on to a sinking ship, meaning he was doubting the whole idea of integration at, at that point. So they weren't far from that middle ground, but it's the media that we believe and we take these snapshots and buy into. So step number one is to say, okay, everything you've ever told me is, excuse my language, is bullshit, all of it. 
I don't want to hear nothing else you have to say. Go and get Dr. King's speeches, not stories about him, not books about him, his speeches. Go and get Malcolm X's speeches, not his autobiography, not stories about him, his speeches, what he said. Watch the video so you can see it come out of his mouth and hear what they have to say and see where they're on the same, on the, on the same page as opposed to the, 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 the diametric, the, the, the opposing ends that were led to believe that they were on because they weren't. Beyond that, you, the other sister, the other folks that are listening and haven't spoken, the other brothers, Folks who listen later on, we have to take responsibility. And as opposed to saying, what does the black community need to do? We need to realize that I am the black community. So if the black community needs to stop gossiping about other black folks, stop gossiping about other black folks. If the black community needs to uh, 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 extend itself and support black businesses, stop saying that black community needs to do it and just do it because you are the black community. You know, mm-hmm. there's this, this idea, and, and above all, and I point this at the so-called revolutionaries more than anybody. So I'm not, not absolutely not charging this at you, sister, but this is giving me an opportunity to say this. But one of the things I heard on some movie back in the day, Panther, I think it was, that in the 60s, the problem was the, the, the big eyes, ignorance and inertia. Today, I would say our biggest problem is arrogance and apathy. So many of us within the struggle community think that we know something when we don't know, excuse me, don't know shit, really haven't really gotten into it and refused to sit down, shut up, and listen to those who have walked through and gone through. And we did the same thing back when we were young, when we were 20 and 25 and whatnot. But it seems to be even more significant now, especially in older so-called revolutionaries, of not wanting to listen and realize that we really don't know. Case in point, I hear a lot of times, you know, it was mentioned here about voting. We don't understand what voting is and how it doesn't work. The black community has no power politically through voting. I'll tell you who does. Al Sharpton does. Why? Because he can go to a, a senator or a representative and say, hey, if you give me such and such amount of money, I can get you X number of votes in, in, on your side to help you win this election. He got the power. We don't because we listen to Al Sharpton or other folks rather than sitting down and critically analyzing what's being told to us and, and, and making decisions for ourselves. We are sheep-minded. We're sheeple, and we go along with what these so-called black leaders tell us. So we have no power because we won't accept the responsibility. You can't have one without the other. You don't get the power without the responsibility, that, that, that uh, axiom that says to, to, she who is, to, to she who much is given, much is required. If you're going to have that power, the more power you get, the greater your responsibility. And we refuse to take on that responsibility because it's so much easier to be a slave than it is to be free. Something like socialism, we think social, socialism is something that and communism were blown up back in the, the Cold War and, and, and McCarthy with the witch hunts and everything. We think that socialism is such a bad thing. Socialism has existed in this country for a long time. Socialism simply means it's not what's blown up in the press and in the media. Socialism simply means that the, the, the uh, tools of production are owned by the people. In other words, there's a, there's a company in Spain where the, the, the people, the workers in the factory floor, are empowered to the point that when it comes time for reviews, you know how you have a, a review by your, by your boss and you get written down, you can approve here and you get five points, so you get a two-cent raise this year and all that crap. 
in this company, the employees review their supervisors. If the employees say, yeah, this supervisor ain't making the cut, they're gone. If they say, yeah, supervisor's great, they stay. The employees get together and decide, okay, there's a company who wants us to make X number of things for this much money. What are we going to do? And the people decide whether or not that's going to happen. That's socialism. Socialism has existed in this country. The police used to be privately owned in this country, but they're not. They're socialist uh, 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 entities now because they're owned by the state. The, the fire department used to be, if you've ever seen that movie, Gangs of New York, and you would have one, it literally, it's true, you would have a fire department show up here. If your house is on fire, the fire one fire department would show up, another fire department would show up, and they may fight over who it is that gets put, gets to put out the fire because the, 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 the money is going to be kicked back to whoever puts out the fire. So they would have turf wars. Meanwhile, your house is burning down. So they socialized, in a sense, those particular entities. Public schools are a socialized uh, concept where the people, which is not that, but uh, the people are supposedly uh, in charge of and own the schools as opposed to what they're trying to do now with the charter schools and the private schools and all of that nonsense so that the wealthy get a halfway decent education and we continue to get the scraps and even less uh, nowadays. But we don't understand these concepts. We just go along with what we've been told as opposed to actually sitting down, putting away the, 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 the Netflix and everything else, and studying and digging down and drilling down and understanding these ideas so that they become tools instead of us being a tool to them. So, so yeah, so yeah I, what we need to do is what you need to do is what I need to do is what each every individual needs to do is take on that responsibility and teach, go volunteer some time and teach a child at the, and educate yourself at the same time, all of us, mm-hmm. on the, the ideas and the basic, basic concepts because one thing we don't want to do is put ourselves in a situation where we're giving out bad information that's going to make the bad situation worse. You know, okay. if you know how to plant vegetables, get some kids in your neighborhood. Hey, I used to do way back when we were in Fort Worth. I'd all forgotten about this. I appreciate you bringing this memory up. They used to bring in my first uh, uh, endeavor into planting was bringing neighborhood children over and letting them help us put tomato plants in the ground. And when the plants came up and had a little fruit on them, Everybody that participated got a tomato. They learned where food comes from. It don't come from Walmart. It comes from the ground. They learned that they, if they put their time and energy and patience into developing this thing, into helping, into cultivating this life, that they were able to feed themselves. They, were able, they learned to work together. These are all, these are all a part of the Kwanzaa concepts, Kujijagalia, Ujima, uh, Ujima, all of those things, just in planting a tomato, something that simple. And that's why I say, uh, Brother Sykes broke down the word recognize, I believe it was last week or the week before last, as, as really meaning just to, to, to realize that that thing is within you. It's already there. Go back and think about it again. So all of these ideas about what we need to we know what we need to do, but we're so busy listening to and chasing those who have no interest in our well-being that we forget that all we got to do is look on ourselves. You know, if the body, if the Bible is true, and, and the body is the, the house of God. It's the temple of God. And surely God dwells within the temple. And all things are available in God. So all you have to do is shut out the excess, the external, and look to the temple. And you'll realize what you need to do. You'll get rid of all the nonsense. And you'll be able to dig in. And it will be so automatic. It's crazy how easily that starts to flow when you actually start tapping into it and drown out the nonsense. So... I, I, that, that's what I want to say. 
I think, um, and this is seven, I think just like we were talking about the boys in the Washington, I think we have to come up with an understanding that it takes um, multiple types, layers to really combat this problem. You know, I, I think, you know, we run a risk of oversimplifying it, um, the problem in all the different aspects and levels that it comes at when we say all we have to do is boycott. That's incorrect. You know, and those boycotts took years and took commitment levels that I ain't seen since those days, you know. Um, and so I think we oversimplify it even by saying let's shut everything else out because that's what we've done and we've been under shelter in place, and I don't see no new farms. You know, I don't see no new schools popping up. I don't see, you know, so in order for someone to really activate something that's within them, we have to make sure it's within them. It may be in their DNA, but it may not be in their person because our media is not flooding us with those positive images and understandings and everything else like that. Like there was an active, intentional movement in the 70s to be natural, to eat natural, to be self-determined, to have your own business, to own your own land. There was an active movement, and anyone in that area was touched by this movement 30 years later. It's not there. 40 years later, 50 years later, after the war on um, drugs, after having the mass incarceration that's been going on, after all of these incredibly damaging aspects, and no longer the intentional motivation to create this black power movement, it's not there. So asking people to pull from something, they're like, pull from what? What do you want me to pull from? Because for 50 years, I've been, ain't been told my black is beautiful. You know, for 50 years, I believe that I can make it. And the people that are making it are the ones that are um, selling out. I don't want to say sell out because I want to be sensitive because there are people putting in hard work. But then – that has not been what's been glorified. That's not what's thrown down your throat. What's thrown down your throat is being athlete, rap, sing, sell your body, do drugs, have guns. And so it's kind of, I don't want to, the problem is so much bigger and has so many layers that I think just those two ideas, we have to really understand it takes a full frontal, you know, we have to attack on so many levels. And in my small opinion, I think the way we start to fix this is we focus on the family. I think the African-American family is the building block, is the cell of creating positive communities. And when we start having man and woman working together and educating the children and working on getting this cell correct, and then this cell touches that cell, and then we're correct. And then we deal, we have a strong muscle after that. And then this muscle can actually do something. But I don't think having one or two solutions is going to be it. We need all the solutions working at once, but it starts in the family. But I'm going to go back to the uh, uh, art of war. I'm going to give it to you, War. Hold on. Uh, uh, the art of war uh, 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 details specifically that you can't fight multiple fronts. The more fronts you try to fight, the weaker you get. And that's essentially, if we look back at what we've done, that's what has happened. We tried to fight on all of these different levels, not realizing that all of these different levels are diversions. They're keeping us away from self. When self is all we've got, number one, that's the only thing in this world that you have is self. That's all anybody has. And if we look to within, and I'm not talking about just whoever, I'm talking about you, me, those that are hearing and begin to develop and want to grow and make a movement, quote, unquote, looking into self and developing self 
and moving self forward, it's going to attract those who are going to be a part of it. If somebody's not going to be a part of it, they're not going to be a part of it no matter what you do, how many levels and how many fronts you try to attack it on. But if you have one front that you perfect, that front being self doing multiple things, then things will start to happen, and history is replete with all kinds of examples of that being the case. Sorry, Wolf, I didn't mean to cut you off, bro. I did, but I didn't. <laughs> no point. Hey, I just I want I, I want us to let site get get back to a few a few more of those points because we're 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 ticking down to the last fifteen minutes of the of the uh, of our program here. All right, I want I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to them points. I'm gonna add something to that long dialogue they just had. Just one of the small things that I think we need to keep in mind. Uh, Hugh P. Newton he he wrote an essay called A Functional Definition of Politics. And you can find it in the book Panther Speaks by uh, Philip S. Forner. I think that's a, I think that's a brother name. But it, basically, what he said was this: He said that in order to understand, in order to gain political power, you got to understand what the political system is based on. He said this system is based on a capitalist economic structure, and therefore it's based off the profit margin. He said if you ever want to stop them from oppressing you, all you have to do is make it non-profitable. And then he used – it's funny that the sister brought up the the bus boycott because he used that as an example. He said that uh, – he said with the Montgomery bus boycott, he said they decided to boycott the bus system for a year. And, and they changed the policy, not because they changed their thinking, not because they said, oh, black people deserve to sit wherever they want to sit, but because it cost them money. And once you understand that, once you understand that principle, you understand how to cause an economic consequence in a capitalist system because that's what the system is based off of. But let me let me let me get to a, a couple of those points, brother. Wall wanted me to get to. Uh, the, we talked about the twenty-six. I'm not going to go over the whole twenty-six. Like I said, if you want the twenty-six things that a revolutionary should know and should be able to do, get in contact with Brother War, and he'll be able to give you a copy of those. Also, there are four major uh, uh, roles that a revolutionary should be able to play. There are four major basic roles, and those roles are the role of a teacher, the role of a guerrilla, the role of a political theoretician, and the role of an economist. And to break this down like this, as a teacher, there are sub-roles in that. As a teacher, the revolutionary must be able to teach the people how to develop those beautiful qualities that are in themselves. The revolutionary must be a dietitian. He has to teach the people how to eat properly and how to develop their own food, as Brother E talked about earlier. He has to be a griot. He has to be able to teach the history and the culture of a nation and, and, and how to keep those old wise life-giving ways of the people alive. And he must also be a guru. Because as a guru, he's a spiritual teacher. Because as a spiritual teacher, he must know how to teach the practical application of spiritual teachings, not just how to worship and praise, but how to utilize those teachings in order to make his life better. A revolutionary teacher has to understand the people he is teaching or he or she is teaching or attempting to teach, but must also be able to teach them in ways that they understand. One thing that Hugh P. Newton taught, and I say it all the time, is that he taught that the people learn through observation and participation, that the people are basically not a reading community, so you got to give them correct activity to observe and to eventually participate in. So the revolutionary must be a teacher, and as a teacher, uh, Bruce Lee taught this. He taught that there are six principal steps of teaching. 
And he said that the the six principal steps of teaching is, one, motivating the trainee. Two, maintaining their complete attention, promoting mental activity, thinking, through discussion, uh, 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 question and answer, and lecture. Four, outlining the material. Five, developing a comprehension of the significance and the implications and practical applications of the material. And six, repetition of the five steps. So the, so the revolutionary has to be a teacher because we're trying to lift uh, people out of the quagmire, out of the dust, and raise them back to civilization building. The revolutionary must be a gorilla. And, and that same essay that I told you about, in that same book, you had said that the gorilla is the perfect man because he said the gorilla is both the warrior and the thinker. He said the gorilla is the political theoretician and the military fighter. So the gorilla has the ability to train the youth and the community and the ability to protect themselves, their family, and their community. War is a basic fact of life. As long as you exist, there will be someone who is an antagonizer to your existence. The gorilla is equipped, and he trains his people to deal with this fact of life. And I'm going to quote some of the brothers and sisters from the past. Either they are elders right now or they are uh, or they have already went to the ancestral realm. But uh, Kwame Ture, he said that the gorilla studies and analyzes. He is humble. He organizes the masses, serves the people, and has an undying love for the people. Che Guevara said that the gorilla fighter is ready to die, not to defend an ideal, but ready to convert that ideal into reality. And Huey said, I am against violence. Violence indicates aggression. I am for self-defense. Self-defense is a declaration against violence. And if you have ever dealt with any kind of violent man in your lifetime, you know that any time that you cannot put a force up against the force of violence, the force of violence will continue no matter what you say, no matter how much you beg, no matter how much you pray. Three, the, 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 the revolutionary has to be a political theoretician. As a polit- the revolutionary is a political person. He, must, he or she must be able to analyze political theory and, reter- and reinterpret it in a way that makes sense to the people. The people's lives are controlled by politics, but they have no understanding of it. But he explained that earlier. The people don't even know what politics is. To do a quick etymology of the word, the word polis literally means the, the, uh, the population, the city, a city. And the word polite uh, 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 represents a citizen. So it was considered that, that the polite thing for a citizen to do was to follow the policy of the city. That's where, that's where these words and these concepts come from. But politics is the science of running society. That's what politics are. And the people's lives are, are completely dictated by politics without an understanding of what politics is. And the revolutionary must take complicated, sophisticated wordplay and break it down in a way that the people understand so that the people can understand that the politics that define their life. Again, and this is not one of our ancestors, and this is not one of our elders, but this is a dude I think made the best point that I can make on this. I'm going to give you a quote from the dude Plato. The dude said, he said this. He said, one of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being ruled by your inferiors. And I think that's a very important point for us to understand when it comes to the gorilla. I mean, the revolutionary being able to understand and uh, and explain politics. And for that fourth role, he must be an econ- economist because freedom is not free. I don't care what you heard or what they taught you. Freedom is not free. The first thing you must free on a physical level is your finances. 
You must study and understand economic concepts. This will give you the ability to create economic alternatives in your community. And 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 uh, uh, I read a book one time called The Outlaw, the, the, the Freedom Outlaws Handbook. And this and this chick named Clara Wolf. She said this in the book. She said, "Take a job and you sold yourself to a master. You cut yourself off from your real fruit of your efforts. When you own your own work, you own your own life." It's a goal worthy of a lot of sacrifice and a lot of deep thought. But those are basically the four uh, essential roles that a, that a revolutionary has to play in their lifetime, I believe. I truly believe. Those are the four major roles. And uh, what our time looks like. I think we look like we got eight minutes left. So uh, I ain't yeah. going to go into any more detail because I also had the characteristic traits of a revolutionary, but I'm going to slow down right now and allow some of you brothers and sisters to come in if y'all want to build on some of those ideas. I think it's, 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 it's most uh, uh, absolutely necessary for us to really to go in and explore um, even just the, 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 the principles, the, the, the Nguzo Saba, the, the seven principles that we associate with uh, Kwanzaa, um, and get a firm understanding, like you, you mentioned politics, and I really love talking about what politics in this country actually is and, you know, how it operates. You know, you know we talk about um, things like boycotts, and I'm with boycotts, but not so much from a reactionary, we're going to do it for three months and then you get your money back. In my head, the boycott has to essentially be for life. You know, Walmart, if they're treating their employees wrong and we stop shopping there, okay, they get the message for a minute, but then they, as soon as we, as soon as, as soon as we start putting our money back in, it goes right back to business as usual because that's their bottom line. It's about profit, and the more we um, um, feed into that, the more we feed into our own oppression. But as we think and learn and understand, not only if we're growing our own food, we're taking money out of Walmart's pocket, so there's your economics that's hitting them there. You're providing an example of of self-determination, so you're hitting them there. Um, uh, Ujima and Ujima, the, the working together in the collective ec- cooperative economics, hitting all of these points on something on things that are so simple and are beneficial if we use them long term, as opposed to uh, uh, achieving a short term goal. And that's one of our issues. Is uh, last week one of the quotes that was used was that we confuse uh, uh, consolation with progress. Just because they say, okay, we're not going to use water hoses on you anymore. All right, we think we've made progress. No, we've not made progress. We're still oppressed. You know, uh, H. Rap Brown, one of my favorite quotes, you're either free or you're a slave. Malcolm said it, you know, there's no such thing as sex, or maybe it was uh, H. Rap, there's no such thing as second-class citizenship. But Malcolm talked about it as well. Um, But this idea that slaves can make progress, the oppressed can make progress, you know, you, uh, the way Malcolm, matter of fact, the way Malcolm put it was, you put a knife on my back, you, nine inches, you pull it out six inches. That's not progress. It's still a knife on the back. You haven't even acknowledged that there's a knife on my back. You know, so we, we keep confusing these little breadcrumbs that are barely even breadcrumbs 
with actually making movement forward. So, and I think that's kind of what we're aiming at with the whole idea of revolution being an internal process, being something that begins within, something that can't be televised because it is something that happens within. You change, Malcolm talked about it, you, you, you change your thought process, you know, you change your attitudes, you change your behaviors. You won't have to go around and protest. You won't have to go around and boycott. You'll automatically not be shopping there. I'm sure I've affected somebody at some point without, back in the day, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have classes. One of my responsibilities was teaching classes every week. And I don't believe, and Warren site can check me on this, that I ever did a class on healthy eating because I knew, though I was a vegetarian, I wasn't doing the healthy eating, so I couldn't repair that conflict in my mind with some of the things that I was doing to my body to turn around and say, hey, y'all need to stop doing this. If we get ourselves to where we're doing A, B, and C, and we're eating healthy and da-da-da-da-da, it becomes a matter of casual conversation. I don't have to scream at you or give you a class to do this and that. You just say, hey, well, what do you want? What are you eating? Well, I'm going to eat such such. You don't eat such? No, I don't eat it. Well, why don't you eat that? Well, because it, and it becomes a whole bone. Now your internal revolution has begun to spill over into those that are around you. And I was going to say, I'm, I'm sure I've, I, I touched people by not doing that, probably more so than if I had gone head on and taught a class and said, don't do 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 you know, don't do X, Y, and Z. So understanding how this process is supposed to take place from the inside and letting it well up without even really just trying real hard, just letting it be who you are is such a, a, an amazing concept, and it is, such, it is so fundamental to our existence. Act like an African, and you're a revolutionary. They're, they're synonymous. They're the same thing. If you act like an African because that's who you are in a system that teaches you and tells you that who you are ain't good enough and this is what you have to be, then that's, that's the revolution. Um, I'm going to go ahead and wind it up because we're under two minutes. Uh, thank everybody for, for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next show. How about the people? You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be... Who taught you to hate the texture of your hair? Who taught you to hate the color of your skin to such extent that you bleach to get like the white man? Who taught you to hate the shape of your nose and the shape of your lips? Who taught you to hate yourself from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? Who taught you to hate your own kind? Try to realize the truth. You were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. trying to free your mind, but I can only show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it. Fear, doubt, and disbelief. Free your mind.
Which means that sooner or later, someone is going to have to fight them.